Hi, everyone. So this week, Dr. Ajua Ose joins me once again, um, and this time for an important discussion about black women and trauma associated with racism. Uh, we talk about the concepts of historical and generational trauma as they relate to black people, and we explore the connections between the legacies of slavery and the current treatment of black women. Having gone through my own racial traumas in several white-dominated organizations where I've worked, this episode, which we recorded in 2021, was, was really important to me. Um, as Ajua explains at one point, it's important for us as black women to be able to actually label and, in essence, validate these experiences we're having in racist workplaces, especially given that we're operating within a broader social and political system that minimizes black women's pain. As always, um, if you are a black woman working in the aid sector and you have a personal story you'd like to share, please reach out to me on LinkedIn and also check out and follow the SBWR LinkedIn page um, and share. And I thank you for listening. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Still Black Women Rise. And I am um, moderating solo today. I don't have my co-hosts. Um, they're all busy with some very wonderful things. Um, but I am joined by Ajua Ose. Um, and we're going to be talking about Black women and trauma today. Um, so Ajua um, Saidi. Mm -hmm. is a licensed clinical psychologist who received her doctorate from Long Island University post campus with a concentration in serious mental illness. Dr. Ose practices from a trauma-informed, culturally sensitive approach. She was trained in both psychodynamic psychotherapy and cognitive behavioral therapy, which she uses in her virtual private practice and in her private practice office located in Brooklyn, New York. As a Black therapist, Dr. Ose understands the challenges of navigating multiple systems of oppression. Her practice is founded on the perspective that identity is integral to therapeutic work, and thus she views a person and their presenting problems within a cultural context. Thank you. She is a published author and has facilitated multiple presentations and workshops on various psychological and social justice issues. I am really, really, really excited for this topic. And we already started getting into it before I hit record. <laughs> I know. I was like, I was looking forward to it so much. We were already going into the topic. So hopefully yeah. we can remember, remember what we said. <laughs> well, I think we will, because I, I have a lot of stuff built up myself. But this, this topic, I really wanted to have this conversation. Um, it's personal for me. I know it's personal for a lot of other Black women. Um, and just everything that we've been going through forever. And then more recently now, the past year plus, um, and just, so for me, I'm, I'm just really excited. And I think this is a conversation that will be helpful for other black women, um, as you have said, just because I feel like we go through a lot, but I also feel like, um, and we'll get into this later, but just all of the stereotypes that we buy into, I think a lot of us often sort of disregard our mental health. And I mm -hmm. think um, I was having a conversation with somebody recently um, who was, you know, just talking about, um, you know, being aware and mindful of the way in which all of these things impact us physically as well and like on mm -hmm. the inside. Um, so I'm, I'm really, I'm really thankful that you agreed to do this. I really, really appreciate your time. Mm -hmm. 
so, so important because the mind and body is you know connected yeah and a lot of times you might be experiencing something physically and not connected exactly what exactly because you know. mm -hmm. i i remember like i i have to sometimes do this mental check where if i i'll wake up some mornings and i'm completely exhausted i just mm. really like dragging yourself out of bed and you know i walk around wondering why am i so tired it's kind of funny that i ask myself that question at all just given covid and everything else that's happening but then i am actually able to pinpoint often it's like a discussion that i had the previous day where mm. i was venting and letting all of this stuff out and i just don't realize how exhausting that is mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um so Yes, we're all tired, but I guess I, I want to this. This is a discussion about black women and trauma, and mm -hmm. maybe we can start off by just breaking down what trauma means, because I, I think mm -hmm. people may have different interpretations. And maybe I think it's a very strong word. And for me, I automatically mm -hmm. think, oh, it's something really huge that happened, you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, and I think a lot of times, you know, when we think of trauma, we think of like a catastrophic event, like a war, yeah. you know, um, but traumas really experiences that have kind of overwhelmed us, you know, okay. specific traumatic events um, that have kind of been outside of like our window of tolerance or our ability to cope, oh. you know. And so, um, you know, when we think about trauma, we might think of like an isolated like incident that happens. Right. So someone might think of like a sexual assault or a war. Right. But then there's also kind of repeated trauma that can happen over time. So it might yeah. be like complex trauma you know, experiences in childhood where there's been multiple incidents of trauma, um, you know, and one of the things I think that's, um, you know, well, often let me just talk about like fight or flight. Um, so a lot of right. times we think there's this image of, you know, you imagine yourself, you're facing a bear, you know, and our body right. is kind of preparing us like, okay, can I fight the bear or do I need to flee? Right. But it's also instance, like what happens if we're trapped in a house with a bear and all the doors are locked, right? And we can't escape. Right. We can't fight. We can't flee. Yeah. You know, we freeze, you know, and right. so, um, that's the other right. thing with trauma is that like our body remembers too. you know, our mind and body are so connected. And so, okay. um, you know, if our body, you know, it can, the trauma can be kind of stored within our body. So it's not yeah. only like memories or the distressing incident, but also just some way in our body responds or goes into survival right. mode. It's okay. almost like an alarm is going off right. all the time, but there's not actually a threat there. Wow. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah, I, I just said a lot there. <laughs> so. Yeah, because I'm just, I'm thinking about just sort of being like workplace situations and like basically being trapped with the bear in a Zoom mm. call <laughs> on a regular <laughs> basis. And the bear in this case would be like white people and microaggressions and all, all of that. I'm just kind of thinking of, yeah, that's pretty powerful. It's just- Yeah, like imagine like your coworker says something to you, like right. a racial microaggression, it's not yeah. clear. You're spending all this mental energy, like right. that racist, you know, replaying right. it through your head. And now you have to show up to this meeting every time with this person it's not processed it's not discussed yeah you know you might feel yourself kind of on alert you're nervous yeah. you're sweating and you're just we're not immediately kind of connecting yeah. the two you yeah. know because we're always yeah. i feel like our reality is always kind of discouraged you know right um right. i always talk about with black women this tension between like we're visible and invisible at the same time yes you're visible like hyper focused on yeah. um either they're commenting on what you're wearing your hair yeah. can you do this diversity mm -hmm. thing for us but your contributions your yeah 
full self, your full being is minimized exactly. and silenced, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was just watching, I started to watch that recording. It was, uh, the Jada Pinkett Smith, the red table ah, stuff. Okay. Mm -hmm. And it was the invisible woman um, issue. I think it was called invisible woman, invisible black women. Um, and it was everything from just sort of being dismissed in terms of like our capacity to do things mm -hmm. something, or our skills or our expertise, but just even one of them was sharing just the whole thing around pain and physical pain and physical mm -hmm. pain tolerance for black women. And how, you know, she was this, this one woman had this really crazy experience where she was pregnant and she um, was talking about just she went into the hospital and she was having some pain or something. Mm. Um, and she decided to go to, I guess, a hospital that was like in an upscale white area or mm. something. And this white doctor, you know, just dismissed it and, you know, just said, you know, something about, well, you know, you're overweight and it's just very critical oh. of her. So he, I think he sent her back home several times and it turned out that she actually, um, I don't know if it was that she had, I think she had twins and there was mm. some complicate, some serious complication when they finally went to look at it. And then that resulted in basically, I think one of the, I think both of the babies dying or something. But I think her point was just basically, she kept talking about the pain and mm. you know how she had to kind of consciously think about where do I place my pain level? Because if I say it's a 10, they're going to say I'm exaggerating. If yeah. I say it's a two, they're going to say it's too late. It was just like that ridiculousness of mm -hmm. just not. So I was thinking about that in terms of, you know, when we say that we're, we can't handle something mentally within the workplace or mm -hmm. something is going to be triggering for us. Or I remember times where I have said, you know, I am emotionally exhausted. I cannot contribute to this conversation, mm -hmm. but that's not enough. And it's almost like, you know, being hyper visible in the sense that you know, you want to check off your little checklist to say there was a black person that was part mm -hmm. of the conversation and that's a visible part of it. But we really don't give a damn about how you feel and what your feelings are around these mm -hmm. issues. You know, are you sure you're really tired and what can you do? Can you do yeah. this? And can you do a little bit of like, that? Are you even prepared you know? to have this discussion right now? Like, exactly. I've gone into meetings exactly. you know, last year, you know, after the murder of George Floyd and we're coming into meetings to discuss it. And it's like, we right. haven't even done any groundwork to create a sense of safety. To exactly. Begin to talk about this. Thank like I'm, trying to process this on my own. I'm trying to yes. process it with clients. And now you want me to come into right. work, um, you know, and, and talk about this in a space yeah. that's so comfortable where people yeah. are saying like, this is the first time I've ever, how is this the first time that you've ever, <laughs> right. you know, like, exactly. what world do you live in? Yeah. You know, it's so, it, it's so frustrating. And yeah. I'm sure we'll get into talking about the strong black yeah. woman stereotype. Yes. Cause that's yes. so connected to like minimizing and pain. Exactly. You know, um, and yeah. You know, another thing I was just thinking about with trauma, I think specifically with this conversation is talking about like historical trauma. Mm -hmm. And so we'll constantly we'll often hear like intergenerational trauma and historical trauma. Yeah. And so when we talk about intergenerational trauma, we're talking about trauma that's passed down through generations of families. Yes where historical trauma is talking about trauma that occurs towards a specific group that maybe has some right. affiliation or location or ethnic or nationality. Right. 
And so um, the term, when I've first seen it, I've seen it in discussion with talking about children of Holocaust survivors, but there's so many okay. you know, instances throughout history where you can think of trauma right. that's passed down you know, collectively. Yeah. Um, so thinking about um, the work that Dr. DeGroy has done around post-traumatic slave syndrome, which is thinking about wow. the years and I mean the years and years of slavery and she talks about you know all this trauma that was occurring but was not um you know there was no healing you know there was no space right. to create healing there was no acknowledgement of what was going on you were treated as property you right. know your humanity was not right. recognized and so yeah. she connects that to kind of present behaviors and understanding yeah you know, the sense of being suspicious, or sometimes I call it like healthy paranoia, mm -hmm. right? Um, like how that. it affects like our self-esteem as a group yeah. of people. And she gives a great example where she's talking about, um, she's, you know, picturing two families, so a white family and a black family, and they're complimenting yeah. each other's children. And so, you know, they're like, oh, the white family's like, my child is so smart, they're this, they're that. And then, you know, talking about the black family being like, oh, this child is no good, they never listen, blah, 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 right. like saying all these negative traits, but she connects it back to slavery where, you know, families were, were, you know, being separated, being sold into slavery. And so if you could kind of um, put down your child's characteristics and say negative things about that, might oh, that protect wow. them from being sold into, you know, into slavery, you know, and so, wow. or being separated from you. So it was like, oh, this child is no good. They're weak. They don't listen, you know, blah, wow. blah, blah, to kind of hopefully, you know, protect that child, you right, know? right, so right. kind of connecting those present day behaviors. And so, yeah. you know, that's kind of what we see with, you know, historical trauma, seeing okay. how these kind of behaviors become survival techniques, you yeah. know, over the years. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So the other thing I'm interesting with that with the sort of you talk about the generational trauma, but also the his you said historical trauma, mm -hmm. right? Um, I don't know what it's called, but I was reading, this is like a long time ago, there was this book um, by Ianla Van Zant. Oh, I can't remember the title, but it was like a really catchy title, but she was talking about, um, like it was a, the, the death of her daughter who died, I think oh. from cancer or something. Um, but she, there's a whole section where, and I've, I've seen this, I also, like, I know it's documented, um, I don't know if it's generational trauma or is it like the kind of the genetic sort of like how like mm -hmm. at a cellular level we sort of inherit some of like these family traumas as she was talking about sexual abuse in her own family with you know women and girls and how that seemed to be something that sort of replicated with her and with her daughter mm -hmm. and what can you say about that I'm kind of like wondering if there's also a connection there there's if there is like the passed on sort of practices of, you know, you talked about the healthy paranoia, is there any level of this where there is some sort of physical transference of, mm -hmm. of all of that trauma? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think we can see those things, you know, emotionally, behaviorally, but also, you know, and I'm correct, correct, mm, forgetting the correct name, but just thinking at a level of kind of like DNA, they've shown yeah. like stress hormones being able to pass down. I think it was like cortisol, like seeing like raised okay. levels of cortisol, you know, during pregnancy and that, you know, affecting mm -hmm. the child, mm -hmm. you know, as well. So that's there, wow. you know, and then as you were talking, I was thinking about, you know, with the intergenerational trauma, I was thinking about things like culture of silence around sexual assault in yes. families, you know, in the sense of kind of, yeah you know, what happens in our house, you know, stays in our house and not yeah. speaking about it. And those messages yeah. kind of being passed down. But yeah, yeah, they are seeing kind of at like our DNA level, seeing yeah. changes, you know, from generation to generation, whether mm -hmm. that's intergenerational trauma or historical trauma. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
So why is it important? I mean, I, I feel like I know why it's important <laughs> for Black women to address trauma. Um, so yeah, let's just kind of talk about why it's important for Black women to address trauma. What are the risks in you know internalizing the trauma, accepting external narratives about our, our self-worth? Mm -hmm. um, I've I've been there. I in a previous episode I talked about, and I think I spoke to, to you about this when I first spoke to you on the phone. Um, this I went through something similar of internalizing um, things that were being said about me or how I was perceived or just within a workplace certain critiques that were given that you know I look back at it now and I just kind of wonder how I actually allowed myself to do that yeah. because. <laughs> You know, with you know, hindsight, I was able to kind of understand all of those things within like a larger, very racist systemic work system and work culture. Mm -hmm. But just speak a little bit about that and, and why is that important for us as black women to acknowledge? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, and so hopefully, uh, uh, you know, at this moment after hearing that <laughs> beautiful example, people recognize why it's important. That was really deep. Yeah, I think it was, and it can be yeah. so toxic. Mm -hmm. it, it, yes, it was. And just going back to your initial point, the initial question we talked about the physical, um, the physical consequences of that. I mean, I, I literally developed a circulation problem in one of my mm. legs, mm -hmm. and I remember having malaria back to back twice and coming down with like a sore throat like four times in the space of several months, and just like all of these physical things mm -hmm. that were happening in reaction to all of that. Yeah, and when we think about, you know, racial trauma, that cumulative experience of looking right. at kind of like the emotional, behavioral, and physiological, yeah. you know, there's, you know, research that shows, you know, that affects things like our blood pressure, you know, chronic pain, you know, and it's so important, I think, to put words to this experience, because yeah. we've been so often like silenced, our pain has been minimized, mm -hmm. you know, that's hard to really connect the two, you know, mm -hmm. I think being able to kind of label this as, as trauma, you know, is a way to kind of, you know, uh, provide ourselves with that language of understanding what's happening to us and making right. it visible because there's yeah. so many ways that this is you know invisible and silenced and it can really have an impact on not only your mental well-being but your mm -hmm. physical health right you know um and I was just thinking of you know similarly like there'll be you know days or weeks I wake up and I'm so tired like I mean I'm always tired I think that's just our lives <laughs> um, but more tired than usual more and I'm just like you. irritable and I, I can't get going and then I yeah. can't figure out why and then you know I look and and you know like you said yeah. you, you begin to realize how much it's connected either to something that's happened yeah um, you know, and I always think about this interview where Toni Morrison talks about the white gaze, you know, she's being interviewed, mm -hmm. talking about her books, and they give her, they talk about a reviewer who said at some point she's going to have to deal with white characters. And it's almost like her work is not credible because wow. it's not including whiteness. It's not including white supremacy. And I always think about that gaze, you know, that's on our yeah. lives, the way yeah. that we're viewing ourselves yeah. through that white yeah. gaze. You know, yeah. W.B. Boyce talks about double consciousness, that sense of navigating yes. our own internal reality and also what's yeah. externally being projected onto us. Yeah. You know, and we can, you know, internalize that and kind of question ourselves. Like yeah. I never used to realize, I was just thinking about like, as you were talking, I was thinking about past, you know, work experiences I mm -hmm. had where I was given more work than other people. Something mm -hmm. that's always said, and I feel like this is kind of coded language is you're so calm. You always have it together. And it's like, <laughs> I'm right. a black yeah. woman in yeah. a predominantly white environment. If yeah. I pop off or get upset, like exactly. that is gonna, you know, yeah. be a stigma for me. Yeah. That is gonna be something that's gonna be labeled. 
yeah. I'm going to be angry, what have you. Yeah. But I just remember like when I started a position, like I was thrown in, it's like, okay, you're ready to see clients. Here's your charts. Mm -hmm. Here's your case. I'm just like mm -hmm. going. Yeah. And I had another coworker who's white. And I remember she started, she had like two weeks. She, she observed somebody. She was given time right. to kind of, you know, transition and right. like, you know, just thinking about that, like we might, you know, I might just internalize that narrative, like, okay, I'm strong, I'm capable, I can handle yeah, it, but yeah. my body is like breaking down, my right. mind is, you know, all over yeah. the place, you know, and so I yeah. think it's really important for us to come together and label this for what it is. You yeah, know? Mm -hmm. yeah, and I, I feel like it's it's kind of bringing us into also the, the stereotypes of the strong Black woman and the superwoman, mm -hmm. because yeah, like in a sense, it kind of reinforces that, right? It's, it's sort of, you know, like you were saying, just kind of being thrown into things. And I just feel like a lot of this is also kind of going back to this idea of like pain tolerance, like physical pain mm. tolerance and what can black women in particular, you know, endure. And it's just, it just seems like it's all mutually reinforcing is just the mm -hmm. system is reinforcing that. And then we reinforce it for ourselves because I think there is this expectation that well i think there's an expectation we place on ourselves that you know we do have to be better and we do mm -hmm. have to do 10 times more just to be acknowledged or maybe not be acknowledged at all and just be left alone so you're not being told that you're lazy or you're incapable mm -hmm. um so you can't just be doing the bare minimum so i think there's that piece that we that we also um that we're doing mm -hmm. do you know what i mean it's just the outside isn't letting us sort of acknowledge this and we're not letting ourselves acknowledge mm -hmm. it. And I think, I don't know, I think the strong black woman can work really, it's a double-edged sword. And, and when we were even thinking about what we were gonna call this, this series, Still Black Women Rise, we really wanted to make sure that we acknowledge that it's not about us always being strong all the time mm. and that mm -hmm. we might not always be rising. It, that wasn't really the idea. I mean, we do. I feel like as Black yeah. women, we do always rise despite mm -hmm. all of the shit. You mm -hmm. know, we're always rising, but it's okay to say that you're tired. And mm -hmm. sometimes I, I, I don't know, I feel like it's, I don't know why it's so difficult for some of us to to accept that, you know? It's just, I, I kind mm -hmm. of, my dad, my, hear my dad's refrain all the time and he's passed away, but I remember him saying, um, you might, you know, my Muna like slow down, get mm. rest, you know, take it mm -hmm. easy. And, you know, are you sure you're not stressed out? And I remember dismissing it. It's like, what are you talking about? I'm fine. I'm not stressed <laughs> out, but you know, I feel like we've internalized that, you know, yeah. just like strong, 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 strong all mm -hmm. the time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And we see models of that, you know, growing up. Yeah. Like, I think the worst thing, uh, you know, as an African child we call was to be lazy. Like it was a sense of like, <laughs> yeah. don't be lazy, yeah. don't be still. Um, yeah. you know, and I just remember seeing, you know, my mother like, you know, working and doing this yeah. and doing that and never staying still. And I would hear her be like, I'm tired, but then she would go and cook, like, you know, elaborate right. meal. You know, and we right. learn, you know, we learn and we see these messages, whether it's in our families yeah. or in media. And there's something is to it. There's that duality, right? There's this part of the strong black woman stereotype that's helped us persist, that's helped us to survive. Mm -hmm. You know, so there's benefits to it, you know, right. in workspaces, like I've, you know, been praised yeah. for the things I've been able to do. So it feels rewarding. Right. It's led to being successful, but then also, right. you know, how it affects us on the other side, you know, yeah. that we don't always, you know, necessarily experience or yeah. talk about. I mean, and so when we think about the strong black woman stereotype, just to provide, you know, some context for, yeah. for people who might not be familiar. Um, it's really um, out 
comes comes out of the legacy of like slavery, you know, and colonialism. Okay. Um, which in in which you know black women, in order to kind of justify you know them being enslaved and to separate them from white right. women, you know, right. our womanhood, our femininity was kind of dehumanized, denied. Mm -hmm. um, and when I talk about this, I'm not meaning like in a binary way, but just like the sense of kind of being yeah. like our personhood was really yeah. erased. That's probably I think a better word, like our personhood. Yeah. Um, and so uh, there was a sense that we could tolerate more pain. Right. So similarly, how you were giving that example, you know, earlier with the suggestion that you know we could, yeah. you know, tolerate. We didn't experience pain in the same way that we could work longer yeah. hours. Yeah. Um, there was, a, yeah. you know, Dr. DeGroy gives an example where she talks about this condition where you know slaves were worked so much that your mm -hmm. muscle would separate from your bone, and I just could not like. Oh my god. Uh, yeah, I'm like I cannot imagine. You know, I mean, like that level of cruelty you know, wow. that experience of not seeing someone, you know, right. humanizing to work right. someone to that, you know, condition, or there was yeah. another condition, I forgot the name, where, you know, uh, enslaved oh. people who were, who were escaping, that was labeled as some kind of psychological condition, that there was something, you know, wrong with enslaved people trying to escape oh slavery. Gosh. So it's, so it's things like this. And so there's that, that aspect of um, the strong black woman, but it was also yeah. for us a way to maintain dignity and survive. Right. And so when you think about sexual assaults and right. rape, kind of like minimizing it, creating that silence, building into our strengths right. um, was a way to survive that and to, and to persist. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm just, I'm also just trying to think about, um, I guess, yeah, I'm trying to think about the kind of contextualizing culturally strong black woman, superwoman. So you and I are both, I guess, bicultural. So we both come from mm -hmm. not just the US, but also have African African sides to us. Um, and mm -hmm. I grew up in West Africa. I was born there. My mother was from Niger. Um, and I guess I'm also just trying to kind of place this like within like the global South context. Mm, and mm -hmm. cause I know it's just, it was interesting. I had a friend, for example, um, this is a very close friend when I was, um, who lives in Africa, um, in Niger. And they actually, you know, experienced sexual assault. And, mm. you know, they told me about the experience, um, but then it was just like, you know, they're, they're gonna say it. And then it was like, let's not talk about it anymore. Like, you know, mm. let's like, okay, that's done. And I, I remember just with a lot of family members, um, on the Nigerian side of, of my family and with friends of mine that I grew up with, there was always this sort of, for men and women, like, let's just, let the, mm. don't talk about that. That's, you know, that's that's upsetting. That makes you angry, whatever. Just put it out of your mind. Like, that's the mm. thing. Like, put it out of your mind. Don't talk about it. Like, mm. what what is it? I'm just kind of, and I don't know if it's, it's just seemed more like it was, maybe it's a similar thing in the US. I don't know. I, mm. I think there was like the strong black woman thing, but then I kind of think about my experiences uh, back home in Niger and it just feels like just across the board that it feels it's more of the just kind of dismissing it and sweeping mm. it under the rug just because it's very unpleasant mm -hmm. to, to mm -hmm. hear or to talk about, mm -hmm. you know? I'm not yeah. really sure I'm going with this, but <laughs> yeah, no, there's something there, you know, and and it's 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 hard to think exactly like what it is to kind of tease it out because I was thinking yeah. about you know the impact of colonialism and obviously right. each country, village, city, you know, has its mm -hmm. own unique histories and you know um, connections to that. But I was thinking about that colonial mentality too, you know, of kind of seeing 
um, our experiences as inferior, right? And constantly, you know, being right. reminded and held up to kind of like these different right. standards. And how much did that kind of disrupt our own traditions and rituals, you know, around healing, you yeah. know, even around mourning? Um, there is, and talking about historical uh, trauma, Dr. Maria uh, Yellowhorse Braveheart was talking about the um, indigenous people Lakota. And she was talking about um, the ma the massacre that happened. I think it was at Wounded Knee. I have it written down here because I want to make sure to get it right. Um, but what she one thing that she talks about, and also like the forced remo removal, you know, of indigenous children and sent to boarding schools. But one thing mm -hmm. she talked about was the ways in which historical trauma disrupted like our sense of mourning. You know, disrupted oh their gosh. traditions. You know, around that that wow. were healing. And so I think about. I'm just you know, given your example, I was just wondering yeah. how much that's kind of disrupted, yeah. you know, our sense of the ways that we healed for ourselves, the right. ways in which we maybe talked or discussed. But yeah. then I also think about, you know, certain norms, you know, or traditions, even thinking around sexuality, you know, that being something that's private, you know, you mm -hmm. don't discuss, it's mm -hmm. not something for a public space, you know, yeah. so I think there's, there's something there, there's one, maybe our own traditions and norms that kind of seek right. to separate like private from public, right. and then also the impact, you know, of this trauma and how it may yeah. have like disrupted, you know. Yeah, it's really serious. And if we yeah. we move past even the sexual trauma and just bringing it back to just, you know, again, like the, the context of this podcast and black women mm -hmm. and trauma, the workplace and racism, you know, the stored trauma like that it's really mm. powerful because it's like i broke down like on an episode we had several episodes ago like thinking back on an experience mm. i had that i thought i had moved past but it's still there do you know what i mean and that mm -hmm. whole internalized thing that i thought i had deleted from my hard drive still resurfaces in mm -hmm. certain moments and you start getting that niggling thing again of like you know doubting yourself and putting yourself down it's it's still like stored mm -hmm. in there and it's just yeah i guess it's just sort of the magnitude of just acknowledging yeah. how on a cumulative i'm just thinking back to all of my experiences of microaggression that i may not have even thought were microaggressions mm -hmm. as i move through my career and how all of that is still in there and i have not gotten rid of it and how mm -hmm. many of us are in that same situation yeah you know and, and you know just like you spoke about you know like the sexual trauma or like racial trauma you sometimes i like yeah. to think of you know these things that we kind of put like on a shelf you know we yes. thought we put it on the bookshelf it's a way it's there but what happens you know when the book kind of keeps falling off the right. bookshelf and then we put it back and we right. think we try to process it and then it comes right. back another way right you know, I think the, the challenging thing with trauma is that it can be th it's something that's happened in the past but feels very present you okay. know it, it, okay. it affects our sense of safety. Yeah. It can affect our connection to our body. It can affect yeah. the way in which we view ourselves, self-esteem, yeah. instances of power and control. As I was thinking about kind of the ways in which these things might not be expressed, you know, they might not be verbal, but the right. nonverbal ways, right. you know, and right. with trauma, like I think, you know, especially, and I was guilty of this very early on in therapy, and I've been thinking more about the body in therapy, mm -hmm. is I would focus a lot of kind of putting these words to the experience, but there's some experience that might not be able to kind of be yeah. tapped through words, yeah. you know, 
and yeah. things like movements and, and mm-hmm. what movements feel safe for us, what movements feel unsafe yeah. and being able to kind of think about healing and kind of like this holistic, like integrative, you know, experience, yeah. you know, yeah. and I, I was just thinking about that sense of the ways in which your ancestors, how, you know, where they are dressing or revealing their trauma, you know, that maybe mm-hmm. wasn't kind of in this verbal way. That's know. true. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause that is a very Western thing is just like yeah like let's scientifically like, ex- like yeah like let's talk about it let's talk right. about it but like how do you talk about like right you know, hundred of years of oppression you know and I don't mean to yeah. laugh but it's just like how do you put all those words with some of them we yeah. don't even know you know like right. I was watching um this documentary on Netflix in our mother's gardens um which was also mm. inspired by the essay by um Alice Walker that talks about in search of our mother's gardens um, okay. But they were talking about like their relationships with their mother. It was black women, black cisgender women talking about their relationships with their mother mm-hmm. and grandmothers and, and what they knew about them and, and you know, what was passed down. And yeah. there's so much I feel like that gets passed down that isn't yeah. necessarily told to us or spoken to yeah. us. There's things that I realize I don't know about my mother, but there's things yeah. I know about her because yeah. I see like her behavior or the way that she moves right. or, you know, things, things like that. Right. And so... You know, it's hard to think about how do we put you know language to all that we know something's mm-hmm. there but it doesn't mm-hmm. always feel like we have like the mm-hmm. words to kind of capture that experience yeah. you know, or to even capture the sheer brutality when we think about these years of oppression yeah. Yeah. um and so i've just been curious i haven't um looked into much but i was just kind of thinking about how do we connect back to like indigenous practices of healing yeah like, how do we connect to the ways in which yeah. we care for ourselves, but also, you know, there's benefits of some of, you know, these Western approaches to mental health, so not yeah. you know, to dismiss it, because there's something I think yeah. powerful to be, um, I think just kind of reclaim your narrative, you know, reclaiming yeah. kind of who you are, who were you before all this stuff mm-hmm. happened to us, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. how do, you know, how do you just kind of describe what you happened, like, how do you view it? Um, sometimes I think about therapy as like a documentary film, like we have all of this raw footage, right. and we can edit it and and come back to it and, right. and deconstruct it again and right. edit it in a new way. Yeah. Um, you know, and yeah. I think there's something really kind of powerful in that and being able to kind of reclaim your narrative and tell yeah. your story. It yeah. just might be that our story is not always going to be able to be captured in words, you know. Yeah, you know I, mean. mm-hmm. I, I like that. Yeah. You know, with trauma work, we want to kind of start with like safety and like establishing like a greater sense of safety, like within your body, like understanding our body, understanding the triggers, thinking about like within our environment and what feels safe. You know, but particularly when we think about like BIPOC communities, we live in a world where we're not really safe, you know? So if I'm telling someone like, okay, we're going to work on safety, I always say establishing a greater sense of safety because you are navigating a world in which your cultural identities, you know, are stigmatized, in which they shape, you know, your experience, how people treat you. So if I'm telling you, you know, we're going to get to a sense of when you feel safe, you know, I'm being disingenuous. It's it's not necessarily, you know, true for us, you know? I mm-hmm. wish that you could go and say that to every single organization <laughs> where I have worked. Everyone's like, this is a safe space. And I'm like, no, that's, you know. That's the thing, because I just, it just seems like, you know, we had started talking about this before we recorded, but like every organization is talking about racial equity and, you know, we stand with Black Lives and Black Lives mm. Matter, blah, 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 all this stuff. And we want to do DEI. And I just, it just feels like you're putting the cart before the horse almost. And Mm -hmm. 
I don't know, this is also another episode. It just, I think there's a lot of the white people understanding and acknowledging and dealing with their own compl complicity in all of this in ways mm -hmm. that they may be aware of and not aware of. But like you said, like, it's just, you know, I, I was having a conversation with, you know, with someone else, with a friend, and we were just talking about, you know, these safe spaces supposedly in these organizations. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's just, it's a safe space maybe for white people who, you know, like, oh, let's do DEI and sit here and have little working groups about it. It's not a safe space for a lot of us who are not mm -hmm. white. And so I don't know, I guess it's just, I, I don't know where I'm going with this, but it's just this idea of, yeah, of, of just the, the safety of mm. the supposed or alleged safety of a space. Mm -hmm. um, and I think part of that safety is making it clear that you don't have to be part of those spaces either. Mm -hmm. You know, like the, the safety of the space isn't just contingent on you being in the space, but the safety exactly. of the space means that you also are allowed not to be there if you don't want to. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, like giving us, you know, like that permission or allowing ourselves permission. But, like, yeah, but yeah. this exactly. And then it's like, why do we have to get permission? Do you know? And then that's. Yeah, I said that. Like, I was like, that doesn't feel right. right. I'm like, <laughs> because as you were talking, I was just thinking, it's like, I don't want like a white person to feel like they can work through, you know, all the stuff through me because what happens yes. is I get angry you know I cry yes. and I share some painful moment and yes. then the next day it's like it didn't happen there's no work from exactly. that there's no growth and it's like yes. why why am I doing this you yes know, why yeah. do I have to dehumanize myself right to quote unquote learn but not put anything right. to practice and how right. are we bringing a group of people together and not thinking about the different power differentials yeah. thinking about the consequences you know yeah like, just like you said like allowing us to be like no I don't want to be in yeah. this space you know I'm not in you know I like even just having these conversations and then having to shift and go back to work like exactly how is that you know exactly mm -hmm. it, it, yeah it's yeah I was I got um I was working somewhere um and um I received um somebody sent me a message an email saying you know um you know, these two individuals or these, these people would like to understand, you know, why you don't feel comfortable, you know, being in mm. these spaces. And it was, and I, I, it was kind of back and forth and, and then they, and I, it was something about, you know, would you, how would you want to have this conversation with them? And I was asking, you know, okay, like ultimately what is the purpose? of me having these exchanges because it's starting to feel like the purpose of all of this is that you want the end goal for me to go ahead and sacrifice myself and my mental ability <laughs> and be in this space regardless. It's almost like we, we need to have some kind of negotiation. Whereas mm. for me, there is no negotiation. It's a self-preservation. I can't do this. I've said I can't do it. Um, but they said something, they wrote something that was really interesting. And um, it was something like these, some people are having a hard time understanding um, it was something like how you're able to, the disentanglement between you as like your personal experiences and then your, you as an employee mm. in this organization. Mm -hmm. And 
it was just, it was kind of revelatory for me because, and it's super fascinating because it's basically a group of white people saying that they don't understand how this work is personal for me and how I'm unable mm. to separate my personal experiences, <laughs> <I'm serious. laughs> my personal experiences from my job and how, first of all, you even think that this is part of my job to do, but mm -hmm. I remember sitting there looking at it and going, yeah, I guess you don't understand because as white people, there's nothing for you to disentangle here. Like you, mm -hmm. you can participate in that space however you choose to, because this isn't personal for you. Mm -hmm. This is, did you, you have- removed. You exactly, exactly, mm -hmm. exactly. And I, it doesn't matter for me, it doesn't matter how you package this conversation. You can package it from the perspective of this is an organizational uh, priority. You can package it from the, this is a technical approach. Or you can package it as this is programming. Ultimately, as a black person operating in a context where there is a majority white of white people, mm -hmm. no space is ever going to feel safe for me to go in and express myself in a meaningful way or in an honest mm. way without feeling like my words are going to be taken and used against me because mm -hmm. these white people felt, felt uncomfortable with what I said or they felt uncomfortable with how I expressed myself. So it, mm -hmm. it's just literally like a catch 22. You know, it's yeah. just like you said, you know, we could start participating and all of this stuff comes out so mm -hmm. I might start getting very upset about something or like or whatever it is, but it's just like, you can't even, the mental acrobatics of thinking through watching your tone and your gestures and also trying mm -hmm. to express a thought and what you're feeling in a way that is accessible for them and makes them comfortable. It's just, there's no meaningful participation yeah. for me, period. Mm -hmm. um, the fatigue of, of doing that. And, exactly. And, you know, having to like monitor your language, like even like hand movements. Like I've just, I've been trying <laughs> to really work against that is trying to just use the affect that yeah. I want to use, speak with my hands, say the yeah. thing that I want to say, um, you know, and, and, you know, this was just making me think about, and we won't, I, I know we probably don't have time for all this, but like thinking about like white supremacy cultural organizations and yes. one of this thing is that we're expected to be one of the norms. So basically white supremacy culture talks about norms and standards based around whiteness, um, you know, yeah. that are, are, you know, um, reflect kind of like prioritizing or, or putting kind of white people as like superior and then we're all yep. expected to adapt. And so, right. you know, it talks about this idea of like being objective and neutral and that yeah. those in power know what's best for those who have less power within the organization. And so yes. I just think about what happens is like, you know, come to this emotionally charged, traumatic conversation, but we need you to be objective. We need right. you to be neutral. Yes. We want you to be polite. Exactly. And we really don't want you to say the thing. Yes. You know? And it's yep. like all this kind of coded language, you know, yep. and it's just, it's frustrating because yep. like you said, there's no, and not that I'm not saying that it has to like benefit us, but it's harming us. You know, you're asking us yeah. to be in the spaces and it's harming us. Yeah. What's even more insulting is you're not taking what's happening in these meetings and doing the work. Exactly. So. Exactly. And and it's extractive. It's just we want you to sit there and pull out all of this crap. It it almost feels like people watching porn or something. Like they mm -hmm. derive some kind of pleasure from hearing about all of your angst and all of your pain and all of your trauma. It just so you can say that you sat there and you listened to a person of color, you know, <laughs> that you had the patience and the grace to do that. 
-hmm. And like you said, like ultimately it's all for nothing because like uh, I got really frustrated about this, you know, at one point in when I was working somewhere else, but, um, and I was, you know, I kept trying to push this discussion and I called a friend of mine and she said, you know, Maimuna, basically you, they need to prove to us mm. that they actually are worthy of us being part of these spaces and participating. So mm -hmm. until they have proven to you that they're actually serious about all, like if this is not about me sharing, it's literally about them proving to us that they deserve our presence in some of mm. these spaces because otherwise just let's just not do it. Because like mm -hmm. you said, it's like you're digging into all of this pain and this trauma and it's very extractive. And in the end, you don't really mean what you're saying. And so, like you said, mm -hmm. we're expecting something. There's just a greater, I guess, investment for us than there is for them, honestly. Yeah. And mm -hmm. then when it doesn't happen, I feel like that's traumatic all over again. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. well, that's such a good point, you know, um, that your friend said, it's like, you know, are they proving that they actually want to maintain the space? Don't tell right. me you care about diversity because you put like a blurb on your website. Like, right. Are you actually looking, you know, within your company, within yeah. your organization, and even, you know, starting there, like it's not outside. You know, yes. I remember being in grad school, everything we talked about was as if it was outside. Right. And I'm like, you have people of color in this room who are experiencing yeah. racism within this program. Yeah. It's not outside. These conversations yeah. need to be happening. Talk about, about yes. what's happening here. Yes. You know, but the problem is the students like, you know, just very quickly realizing that, you know, if I say these things, it's gonna make it makes everyone uncomfortable, exactly. it's silent, and then we kind of move on. And so exactly. like I said, my approach and I'm not telling people to do this. My approach is just walk away. And it's, it's you know, and, yeah. but the problem is then we don't create those challenges also for, you know, change. I think it's really asking ourselves, like, when are those moments that I want to push? You know, when are those right. moments I want to say something? Where do I feel like I'm in a mental and physical and emotional space yeah. that I can take this on? And when are right. those moments that we have to step away? And it doesn't mean we don't yeah. care, but we're stepping away for self-preservation. We're stepping right. away for our own right. well-being. Well, see, so I have two questions for you. So the, on the one hand, what happens, so what is, what do you do when you do acknowledge that for your own personal sanity, you have to step away, but you aren't allowed to step away mm. because then you get a big old X on your back and then, you know, you're labeled as you're not aligned with our vision as an organization and what mm. we're trying to do around diversity and blah, blah, blah. Um, and then the second one is, I remember sharing with a friend of mine, um, she's, uh, she's from Zimbabwe and she, you know, for her, she just, because I was venting to her, she, and she said to me, you know, Maimuna, I am done trying to like do this work with white people. Mm. And she's just, you know, she said, I'm done. I just, I am not doing, mm -hmm. I, like I decided long ago, I'm not doing it. And I just want my response to her is like, yeah, I get it. And at the same time, I don't think I've reached that point yet. And I'm, I still need to find ways somehow in the work that I do to kind of still, there's something that compels me to do this just mm -hmm. because I just, I feel like, I don't know, maybe it's a, a way for me to kind of express everything that I'm unable to express. But I told mm. her that I almost feel like it's impossible for us as black women to fully step away just because I feel like we are 
inevitably activists. I really mm -hmm. do just by virtue of being black women. Like it's just that it's never, it's always going to come up. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it's like, I don't feel like we're ever going to be able to step away a hundred percent. You know, that, that sexism, you know, anti-blackness, yeah. you know, the race, it follows us kind of wherever yeah. we go, yeah. you know, regardless of, you know, what spaces, whether it's workspaces, social spaces, yeah. you know, and it is that, you know, challenge. And I think it is, you know, uh, I was just thinking about you and your value and, and, and wanting to, you know, do that work. Mm -hmm. And I always come back to first for me, because I need like time to kind of like process and think like, I need yeah. to have like those supportive spaces. I yes. need to be somewhere where I feel seen and affirmed before I begin to think about like what to do. So that's kind of like always like my first step. I always tell people like, you need that person that you can look at and say, was that racist or was that racist, racist? That just happens, you know? And yeah. for some of us, there are people, you know, within our organizations yes. or company where we can do that. For some of us, it has to kind of be outside or separate spaces. Right. So that's kind of where like I start first. It's like, okay. let me find, as I'm doing this work, let me find the spaces that will help me recharge that will help okay. like nourish me yeah. to go on and, and do this work you know yeah um so that's kind of um from where you know i start from and you know i'm in a different position now kind of working for myself and now for me mm -hmm. it's more like okay i can be you know choosy about like what projects or what spaces i want to speak in you know yeah. um and you know after last year, I was like, okay, uh, I'm going to be very choosy about what spaces <laughs> yeah, I speak right. in. Um, but for those of us who can't, you know, for those of us who can't, I always say, yeah. you know, identify kind of those supportive spaces for yourself and thinking about kind of like the consequences. Okay. Like if I don't go to this meeting, if I don't participate yeah. in this D, E, and I, you know, events, are these consequences I can live with? The possibility that it might be a bad evaluation or you're not right. a player or, you know, wow. what have you. Or is this something that I have to go to? And if I have to go to it, what, what do I need to put in place before to kind of take right. care of myself? What do I need to put in place kind of after? And I hate yeah. having to use that word coping because I feel like, you know, in an ideal world, you know, we would, should not have to cope, you know, yeah. with, you know, this type yeah. of trauma. Um, but unfortunately, we're in a world where we have to, yeah. you know, so those are some of the things I think about. It's like, where are your supportive spaces? What do you need to take care of yourself before and after? And what are the consequences and can you live with them? You know, yeah. like sometimes, you know, and I go back to grad school and I just think about conversation I just tapped out. I was like, I'm just gonna say the thing that sounds, you know, right. PC, that sounds like, you know, diversity, yeah. Yeah. blah, blah, blah. But my true feelings are gonna be processed with, you know, yeah. with my other black colleagues. Right. I'm not doing it here, you know? I was, yeah, I was thinking about that, uh, that there's that one episode from Insecure. Um, <laughs> Oh gosh, well, that might have been like the first season or something. I don't, have you watched Insecure? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Just the, the, when she's sitting or when um, Issa is sitting at the table in the conference room, there's that whole issue with the logo and the white. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then, you know, she's the only black person in the room. And so one of her coworkers says, Well, I think that Issa is probably best place to like address this. And she's like, Nope, I, I agree. <laughs> that <was> it. <laughs> There's those moments, you know, sometimes I'm just like, you know what, this is not a battle, <laughs> you know, and, and, you know, something else I was tough because I was thinking about uh, my last job and one of the benefits I had was having, you know, a director who was a biracial woman who mm. you know, was pushing, you know, for these spaces and was taking it into account. And so sometimes if there's also kind of, you know, a kind of person within like a position of power that you feel like right. you can align with as well, you know, that's right. not always 
possible. Yeah. Um, but I think that too, because then they can kind of, you know, either back you up or try to create, you know, frameworks yeah. or, or what have you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, there's, we have one question here around, um, you know, how is racial trauma further sort of exacerbated by other forms mm. of discrimination like sexism and transphobia and homophobia mm -hmm. that just even like it, it, this isn't this exists within our own communities, you mm -hmm. know, I, I um, we had uh, a discussion around um, LGBTQ plus issues within like the development sector. And, and one of the things that, you know, I mentioned was I was speaking with um, a woman that I, I respect a lot, who's been very vocal about decolonizing the sector and everything. And I had asked her if she would be willing to be part of a panel discussion around um, it's like looking at race, gender identity, sexuality. And um, her response was, that she does not, she had made the decision that she will not participate in any panels that are not solely focused on race. And mm. I, that's fine. I respect her choice, but I was, I was thinking about it after I spoke with her and I just thought to myself, um, it's not all just about race though. And so yeah. like some of us, you know, well, I mean, as a black woman, I definitely, it's not just about race, yeah. <laughs> right? And so I was just, you know, I just, you know, we had a conversation previously even on race and gender in another episode. And the point was just for me kind of seeing this whole racial justice movement currently, it just seemed like um, LGBTQ plus um, identifying people are just mm. seem to be marginal on mm. from that this whole racial just like you know every race 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 mm. but we're forgetting you know that for everyone it's not just about race mm -hmm. um mm. so how what can you say about yeah the racial trauma and then like the added mm. pieces of transphobia mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. homophobia mm -hmm. and sexism yeah i always say we don't live single issue lives yeah. you know um like like so we can't just you know separate talking about our gender from our race right. when we think about socioeconomic class you know and, mm -hmm. and kimberly crenshaw talks about you know intersectionality and she gives you know the example of kind of being you know at a crosswalk and being hit by several yeah. cars from multiple mm -hmm. you know directions and how right. can you really determine how much damage was caused you know by what yeah. impact you know yeah. and I think in the same week that George Floyd was murdered, there was a transgender man murdered. Mm -hmm. I believe it was Tony McDade, you know, okay. was not given, you know, right. was also an incident of police brutality, but was yeah. not, you know, and not to yeah. minimize, you know, what happened to George Floyd, but it was like, this yeah. happened to this transgender man, but that name was not, you know, mm -hmm. really spoken about. That wasn't kind of considered as a part of like the overall you know, movement. Yeah. For some people it was, but I think yeah. a lot of you know of those aspects of self kind of get erased or silenced, and mm -hmm. you know, recognizing that it's these intersection that you know these intersections that can contribute to like unique discrimination for yeah. people, you know, yeah. um, and thinking about who are the most vulnerable people within our communities and how mm -hmm. are we elevating mm -hmm. you know their voices, you know, yeah. as a part of the movement rather yeah. than seeing it as something separate. I think a lot of times what happens, you know, in movements is that. We kind of get to a point where some people start to get benefits you know some mm -hmm. people with like the most privileges start to get benefits yeah. and yeah. then the people who are either the most vulnerable um are yeah. begin to be, like be less considered yeah. like i was thinking about pride and just thinking about how radical you know pride and riots happened over time mm -hmm. but then it kind of shifted to you know and maybe this is also part of kind of you know 
a political you know strategy it became about love is love and it became about mm -hmm. you know marriage mm -hmm. you know equality mm -hmm. and obviously that's an important issue for many people yeah. but it also left out you know radical activists like Sylvia Rivera, like Marsha P. Johnson, mm -hmm. who were fighting for things mm -hmm. like housing, healthcare. Right. This is all right. a part of, you right. know, racial, you know, LGBTQS plus people, yeah. you know, classism, like all of that, yeah. you know, and not yeah. separating it. Yeah. You know, and and I think, yeah. you know, that's an issue, you know, that comes up. And I think mm -hmm. we really, you know, when we're kind of, you know, creating these spaces are coming together is thinking about, okay, who's being seen, who's being yeah. affirmed. Whose yeah. voices are being left out? You know, yeah. Yeah. I remember I went to um, a panel and was this transgender, black transgender woman who said, you know, sometimes we're invited to the table, but right. you don't realize you're the meal. You know, like you're oh. invited to speak, but you don't realize you're actually not, your contribution oh is not God. really valued. You know, and when she said that, yeah. it really hit me. Like that image of like, yes, you're invited to the table, but you're oh, actually the meal. God. Like we That's want you horrible. to perform say the things, yeah. then we don't really include you. Right. We don't think right. about the impact that it had right. on you. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah, because I kind of, I think about that when I, when we had, we had one, uh, the discussion I was talking about LGBTQ plus um, in the, in the development sector, mm. because I, I also think like in the development sector, it's just, it's not something that's ever acknowledged, you know, and mm. just like even in our programming, there is a very binary way that we think about, you know, program participants, women and men, and mm -hmm. there's like nothing in between. And it's just, it's, it's, it's just, it's, I think once you kind of like lift the veil, like it's just like everything you see is just very, um, like very standard. And mm. I was saying, you know, we had one of our guests on was speaking about her experience in that space. And yeah, I mean, there's a lot that I need to learn about mm -hmm. these issues and and words that I use and language that I use. And it was interesting speaking with her because I felt I felt like I was in the similar situation of white people trying to figure out how they speak to black people mm. about these issues. <laughs> because there's a lot of shit that I don't know and that I don't yeah. understand. And I know that I've probably put my foot in my mouth when talking about these issues. Um, but yeah, I just I we wanted to you know, make the episode about women in a very broad sense, mm. however you identify as a woman or however you define mm -hmm. being a woman for you and not being it again about man, but woman, cisgender. Mm -hmm. um, but with this episode, I guess I was, yeah, I was interested in, in kind of understanding as well. Yeah, just the exacerbated trauma for transgender women, um, women who identify as lesbian, mm -hmm. intersex, people, um, you know, bisexual, people who mm -hmm. don't identify on the spectrum at all, just because I think there's there's a discrimination that we experience from white people. So yeah, race, but then mm -hmm. just the discrimination that we also like exercise against yeah. one another. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. It's yeah. important, I think, to recognize that and like check ourselves and like I've been learning yeah. so much. And, you know, one of the things, you know, is, is just trying to pull from, um, you know, different sources and, and take that in, but also being mindful of the labor that people, you know, yeah, are doing, you know, to point. educate. And am I taking more, you know, not yep. doing anything with it? Am I, you know, and there's so many people, you know, that follow online that I've been learning from, just, you know, think about language I use mm -hmm. that was very mm -hmm. like binary, you know, that I'm realizing kind of more and more, yeah. you know, understanding my own sexual identity development. And, you know, I think, you know, also kind of, um, you know, what's happened, I was just thinking particularly about, you know, um, 
diversity around sexuality and thinking about like African sexualities is, you know, colonialism had such an impact on yeah. erasing like the diverse yeah. experience of our sexualities, yeah. you know, and it became, you know, those laws, you yeah. know, those, those laws that we see like the anti-sodomy laws and all of that <laughs> were really, you know, out of colonialism. I think yeah. part of it too is like, reclaiming that history yeah you know, um because yeah. you know it seemed like oh white people brought this over it's like no this existed exactly people existed from you know before you know a lot of it was kind of you know and so i think it's important to kind of like name it and bring yeah. it into the discussion and think yeah. what we might be being left out you know yeah mm -hmm. yeah and i was also just thinking about that whole when we were talking about the invisible black woman just also the invisibilization of mm -hmm black in within our own community of black people that don't fit within what we believe is like mm -hmm. acceptable sexuality or gender mm -hmm. expression mm -hmm. um and how they're you know very much left out i, I was just kind of yeah the more i thought about it and just you know this this thing that the speaker was saying and you know i just want to participate in things about race but it's not just about race yeah you know, and i keep thinking about audrey lord and you know there's yes. a hierarchy of oppression you know that really it's just you know, none of us are free until we're all free, basically. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. So it's mm -hmm. just, yeah, I was just thinking about how they're just, it's very not, the silence that we have around around that mm -hmm. and then, and you know, some I people just, can't just leave about race because they have yeah. all these other identities you right. know, that are oppressed right. and, you know, um, yeah so, mm -hmm. but i guess also just like the silent trauma then within that community of yeah. transgender and gay and lesbian and bisexual mm -hmm. um people and just yeah that that is yeah. like a whole other freaking layer mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. i just think about black women being at the very bottom of you know society but then you add on being transgender or mm -hmm. gay or lesbian and then you're literally another rung beneath that again mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and also i think what happens too with like we you know like audrey lord and and, and other people you know who contribute like their contributions are erased from like yes. the overall you know yeah. struggle for like racial justice you know yeah. and so yeah. it's always you know i'll see people say things yeah. like well you know why don't they separate or do their own thing or what? But I'm like, you don't realize that many of these people were contributing to the civil rights mm -hmm. movement, were speaking mm -hmm. up. You know, their mm -hmm. contributions were yep. not, you know, recognized as a as a part of that. Yeah. You know? Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I know. I feel like we have to breathe. <laughs> Everyone, take a collective <laughs> breath. <laughs> I feel like we need to have an episode where we invite white people to be the meal mm. really like to i i don't know i'm just kind of thinking about if there's like some episode where we can have you know white people kind of in this conversation where we're we're able to i i just i don't know i i don't it's mm. some kind of conversation or something i don't know i don't maybe it's not even worth it but it's just like part of me mm. is just very fascinated by you know their seeming lack of understanding or appreciation mm. for a lot of our trauma and a lot of what we we experience or they're not getting it or something mm. um and part of me doesn't really care i'm mm. not saying all white people are evil i have you know mm. friends who happen to be white but it's just i don't know this is just a lot i think we're all going through a lot of stuff and just it's so hard there's like those varying stages of kind of how aware you know, you yeah. know of your own racial identity and right you know, kind of how you view yourself and, and other people and so it's 
really difficult. Like, like you said, we're not like classifying all white people as bad no. or what have you, but there's just, there is, there's just, I think something really hard for me in hearing about, you know, identities that shape so much of my experience. And then yeah. someone saying, I didn't realize that happens, you know, and it's just, exactly it's really it's just I don't know every time I hear it, it's just like so painful because I'm just I can't like it's like I can't imagine as like a black queer woman black queer cisgender woman like going through my worlds and not yeah. waking up and thinking I'm a black queer cisgender right. woman every single day right you know? I yeah it's 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 fascinating to me it's also just aggravating I just try mm -hmm. to I don't I'm not trying to understand where they're coming from but I, I'm just I'm trying to understand that mindset. Like I, I mm. wish I could just be like completely clueless about all of these things and I could be allowed to be that way. I mean, I, I literally remember a white woman um, during an interview process for candidates, you know, it just kind of came down to, there was a really outstanding brown woman and then there's this white woman and then mm you know, the white people on the panel, like obviously migrate to this white mm -hmm. woman because that's what you're comfortable with. And I called that out. And this white woman decides to engage me in a conversation about identity. Well, what is identity really? And I'm just, you know, and so then she proceeds <clears throat> to kind of explain why this white person makes sense because, oh, if we're talking about diversity, by the way, this white woman also happens to be gay. And it's all it's like one aspect, you know, okay. Right. But it's just like, well, if if they're like one piece of like the diversity checklist, then they're good and not mm -hmm. understanding that you know, you do not wear gay on yourself. Do you know yes, what I'm saying? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so this is, you know, white cisgender gay woman, and we're talking about a brown woman who wears her skin and is always mm -hmm. going to be seen as non-white. And then we morphed into a whole other discussion about how this white woman has friends who look white, but they actually have like a diverse genetic background. <laughs> just, it just, this it's is all nothing. deflecting, you know, like it's all just like taking it away from like the valid point that you brought up, you know? And, yes, you yes. Know. And so mm -hmm. then that turns into, I guess, me not being, uh, or me only focusing on skin color. And it's just like, you've missed the whole point, but, mm -hmm. All of this is traumatic, <laughs> just, you know, all of this is traumatic. And it brings me to our final question, sort of mm. in a very weird way. What sorts of quote unquote coping strategies do mm. you recommend? So therapy mm -hmm. is, an, is one that I would recommend for everyone, but beyond therapy, mm -hmm. what are things that we mm -hmm. can do, like small things that we can do to reconnect with ourselves, to start deleting that hard drive with all of this crap on it, mm -hmm. you know, to just to thrive. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, to exist, you know, to continue our day, yeah. to continue the work you know, that we want to do to be able to show up, you know, in spaces and re yeah. in relationships in the ways that we want, you know, and, and the first thing I always think about, and I call, I just, I'm like back to basics, like back to our bodies you know and okay. being aware of like are we taking care of our physical needs yeah. like are you getting sleep like it might sound like you know really simplistic but yeah. we don't even realize when we're experiencing all these different types of trauma like 
we're missing meals we're not staying hydrated we're not sleeping you know we're running around trying to do as much as we can or stretching ourselves you know in all these different directions and so really kind of like are you taking care and like nourishing your your body Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. you know and and what i spoke about before like having those supportive spaces you need spaces where i feel like you can be fully seen you know and coming back to intersectionality is like is this a space where you can show up you know with mm-hmm. all the different identities and mm-hmm. have them be seen, have them be respected, have them yeah. be affirmed and welcomed, you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, and so finding those spaces, you know, for yourself. And then yeah. something else I've been thinking about as far as in like white supremacist, like organizations, again, I'm talking about like white supremacy culture mm-hmm. um, is this idea of kind of like showing up as ourselves, you know, and in what ways am I muting myself that yeah. feels like it goes against like my values. Yeah. Like, I remember like waking up for work and being like, oh, I can't wear this African print skirt. It's right. not professional. And it's right. like, who says, right. you know, who says like this pattern's right. not professional? I mean, there are, you know, obviously do say these things, but if it's something I want to do exactly. and it's not something I feel like that's going to lead to some, you know, negative yeah. backlash, you yeah. know, even just I went, I don't have a fresh haircut today, but I remember for years, my barber would tell me, you know, let's put a little design, you know, on the side of your head. And I wouldn't yeah. do it because I was like, I can't go to work with this, you know, feather wow, on the side really? of my head. Yeah. I would think so deep, like so much into these things. And I'm just like, I finally was working in a place where it was predominantly, um, you know, black and like Latinx, like um, mm-hmm. colleagues, shout out to my African aunts and uncles, because on Fridays, they would show up in their traditional clothes. Right. Yeah. And it just made me feel like, okay, like, I can do this, you know, I go to the psychology meeting once a month, mm-hmm. and I'm going to get, you know, the design on the side of my head, yeah. I'm gonna wear what I want to <laughs> wear, you know, like, and, you know, how am I muting myself? Am I like, you know, my voice would change. Like, right. I, even in this like podcast, I am talking in a different way than I would talk <laughs> in meetings. Like I don't, it happens so like unconsciously, I don't even realize. It just feels yeah. like my voice gets a little bit higher. It's softer, mm. suddenly my hands, you know. And so yeah. like, what does it mean like when we show up as ourselves? Like what are the yeah. ways in which you wanna show up as yourself Right. That feels in line with your values yeah. you know, and allows you to do, you know, the work that you want to do. Right. You know? Right. Right. Um, and then another thing that comes to mind is boundaries. You know, um, we hear boundaries and we think we have to do this like dramatic, like rigid thing that has to be consistent. <laughs> but, you know, boundaries can be flexible. So think about where right. do you need to set limits? Like mm-hmm. even your media intake, like what are you mm-hmm. watching? Are there things that you're watching that are triggering? Yeah. Um, when do you watch the news? Like I prefer to watch the news. I put it on a few minutes in the morning to make sure the world hasn't exploded. And then I watch it at the end of the day because it's a lot for me to be here, you know, kind of do the work I need to do. There's some days where I just need to kind of like take a little bit more distance. So just thinking about, you know, boundaries like that, how do we set limits, you know, with ourselves and with other people, you know, and so those are some of the things that kind of come to mind. I don't know what your experience has been like around, you know, some of these things. I think I'm, I'm pretty good at kind of figuring out like internally Mm. when I've just kind of had enough, you know, you're like, you're scrolling Mm. through what you want to watch. And was there something, some new Netflix thing on, um, was that uh, the Black Wall Street massacre? Oh, yeah, it's in my queue. I have to watch that. Mm-hmm. I, but I was just like, I cannot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just, yeah. yeah, I just do things like that. I think my the, the challenge that I have is more so being able to set boundaries around these issues in my work. 
And only because I feel like the white leadership and the white powers that be will not allow me to set those boundaries and observe them. And so it always feels like you are sort of getting kind of unexpectedly dragged Mm. into yet another conversation about all of this crap. Mm-hmm. You know, whereas, you know, you just, for me, it's just like, I, we've had this conversation one time, two times, three times. I cannot talk about it anymore. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. to be honest with you, I, there was one example, I was kind of going back and forth with someone on Skype and then they asked me a question and I just shut my Skype off and mm-hmm. I just took my dog out for a walk. And I just, I was like, I'm not, I'm not oh. engaging and responding anymore. <laughs> I don't know what the consequences are going to be for that, but, you know, I know I'm going to have to like, you know, respond to that at one, at some point, but I, mm-hmm. I just feel like it's um in the workplace. I feel like it's, it might it be difficult for a lot of, of black yeah. women just literally, especially maybe not, especially, I mean, I think it's, it's not just the aid sector, but every other yeah. sector as well. Mm-hmm. I'm on the, there's a Facebook, um, a group for black women in tech that I'm on. Uh, I'm not okay. in tech, but it's just it's a community of black women. Yeah, so like a really, a lot of mm-hmm. really great like advice. And you see all of these crazy posts from from people. Mm. And it's nice. I think maybe this is another coping strategy is like that mm. is the space where that I like to be in because I feel like, oh, you went through that too. <laughs> you yeah. know, not just me. It's not just exactly. in my I'm not imagining it. And that's pushing um, against that external, you know, okay. not internalizing. And and sometimes yeah. you know, those boundaries can be like small, you know, limits. Okay. Like it might be like, you know what, this person sent me a triggering email and I'm not going to respond to it right now. You know, yeah. I will respond to this, you know, yeah. an hour later. Or yeah. I used to show up to meetings exactly at the time the meeting was started because I didn't want to get into any and if it was a day where I just yeah if it was a day where I was just going through it I'm like the meeting starts at 10 30 I'm in the seat at 10 30 because I don't want to engage in any small talk I can't pretend right now yeah I'm drained I'm emotionally burned out when the meeting ends at 11 30 you know a lot of things are virtual now I am leaving the meeting you know and (laughs) things like that I mean it seems like small but it, it's kind of like yeah. you know reclaiming your time yeah. you know true. you know finding ways that you can kind of like you know push back even just taking moments to be in touch with like what we're feeling like if you yeah feel that you know rumble in your stomach or your heart's kind of mm-hmm. pacing like taking a moment breathe yeah. you know take some deep breaths yeah. and just give yourself that time to think about like what am I reacting to like what's going on like what are my thoughts like what yeah. are my feelings like you know, how am I responding? And that's, even, yeah. you know, setting a boundary and not feeling like we have to be on and respond like yeah. that in the moment, you know? And right. the other thing I was thinking about is also just like, you know, finding places that are celebratory, like tapping into joy. Okay. Not everything yeah. has to be positive, but I was just thinking about, you know, um, just, I think I was doing like some panels coming up on like media and mental health. Mm-hmm. And I just remember like, seeing pictures of like James Baldwin smiling and dancing yeah. and I was like I just needed to kind of like find that something that felt celebratory find because it was so much like right. heavy 
yeah. stuff that we were talking about. Like I was like, I know I'm going to go into and, you know, doing the talk, I wanted to like disclose and share mm -hmm. personal moments. And so I was like, let me just connect back to things that yeah. give me a sense of joy, give me a sense of pride, okay. movies yeah. I was watching, images that I'm seeing, yeah. you know, and tapping into that well. And so it might be also saying like, what do I need like right now? Okay. Like, am I needing kind of like a mental break, a mental yeah. vacation? Do yeah. I need to vent? Yeah. Do I need that person who can help me kind of plan and do what I'm going to do? Because yeah. someone said something racist or sexist or homophobic yeah. or transphobic, you yeah. know, like things like that is kind of like, you know, it's almost like a mental kind of like checklist, yeah. you know, but it's hard to do that if we're like react, if we're coming, if yes. we're like reacting and we don't always have that time for that mindful pause. Yeah. You know, it's not always possible, yeah. but when we can. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Or just, yeah. Shut down your computer for the rest of the day. Yeah, it's reminding like our ancestors, you know, that there were yeah. ancestors before us and, and connecting to that and, you know, yeah. what they went through and, and understanding that they took ways of kind of caring for themselves too, you know, yeah. like, um, yeah. and I've been following the nap ministry on, on Instagram and it reminded me, um, because they talk about kind of, um, you know, prioritizing rest, but not prioritizing mm -hmm. rest so that we can go and be productive, because that's something that I do. I'm like, I'm going to rest. So I can do the 5 million right. things yeah. on my to-do list, but realizing rest to rest, that's something huh. of value, you know, um, and thinking about, you know, the sense of like capitalism constantly having to be on and be productive. Right. And one way of fighting back against that is resting. So I was just thinking about you closing your computer and being like, I'm hmm. done, you know, like I'm resting yeah. and doing kind of what I need to do to care right. for myself. And I'm not doing this so I can go be productive and right. be on, you know? Right, yeah, I like that. Rest mm -hmm. for rest's sake. Mm -hmm. Okay, mm -hmm. and you said it's called the nap ministry? Yes, the nap ministry. Um, <laughs> I've been, I, I'm like constantly, when I see, I'm like, drag me, because I was definitely the person who's like, I'm gonna rest, so right. I can clean the bathroom, right. write this thing, blah, right. blah, blah. Right. And I was like, no, that's not right. resting. That's okay. <laughs> yeah, okay, rest for rest's sake. Mm -hmm. good i like that We've, like end on that note yeah everybody go rest just to rest <laughs>